Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today, I have Terence Tobin with me. Terence is the Financial Planner-in-Chief at Rich Ideas in Johannesburg, if I got that correct. He loves financial planning and has a passion for financial planning, and I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you, Louis. It's an honor to be on your uh, podcast. Brilliant. We're going to have a great discussion today, a little bit unpacking your history, what you're up to now, how you've grown your business, how you've brought in new people, and the journey through that process. So Terence, give us a little bit of a background of how, how did you get into financial planning? That goes back over 20 years, um, back at school and learning business economics and accounting and trying to figure out how to apply that to life and, and learning how that applies in day-to-day business and watching people around me that were very successful. Um, and sadly, in my family, that wasn't the case. And I didn't want to repeat that cycle. Second job out of school, I worked at a company that taught people how to invest on the stock market. Now, at the time, that was pretty easy because the market only went up and you could buy any share with a dot. And a week later, you had like doubled your bucks. So, you know, it wasn't too challenging. But in those conversations I would have with people is saying that, Equities is an asset class. Yes, it can make you money, but this is not the holy grail. This should form part of a plan. So please see a financial advisor. Four years of saying that, I was like, well, why can't I be that guy? And that's when I started looking into options to get into the industry. Because at the time, that's what I called it, an industry. That's now changed for me. It's a profession and a passion for it. And I joined a Discovery Netco in 2008. And it was a wonderful place. Um, I enjoyed it. It was fantastic. Great team of people. But unfortunately, the chap who ran that Netco was the old school policy smos. And the first week I was there, we had training in the boardroom. And he says, the first thing you do in a client meeting is check their budget. 
I'm like, well, that makes sense. He says, you check all the expenses, check the income. She said, the disposable income. And Louis, this is where it freaked me out. He says, you then match a life policy to the disposable income. And I was like, wait a second. Like, why would a 29-year-old need a 4,000 rand a month life policy? And I was there for a couple of months, and it just would often clash because of that reason. Because, you know, I want to do financial planning, not sell policies. I got an opportunity to jump across to FNB at the time. So I joined them in March 2010 as they were preparing for the World Cup, which was fantastic. And it was an amazing place. And it really was. And they actually did embrace financial planning. And I spent seven years at FNB. But this itch was always there not to sell things, to offer clients financial planning. And in many review sessions with area management, they would go, well, Terence, you had 27 appointments this month, but you only did seven deals. Oh, dude, you know, you're not doing too well. And I'm like, but no, no, but hold on. I saw this chap. We helped him figure out how to pay off his credit card. I saw this one and we gave them ideas on how to save for education. I did good work. Yeah, and they're saying, but your good work doesn't pay the bills. And Louis, in my second last year there... I'd had the opportunity to do fantastic business assurance. It was an amazing opportunity, great meetings. And the client at the time turned around in one of those sessions. It was four owners in the business. And they said, we're happy to proceed. We will pay, but strip the commission from the product. We'll pay it in full, but invoice us. And I was told by my area manager, it is not possible. You have to get paid the commission. And I'm like, well, surely it makes no difference if the insurer pays the commission or the client pays the commission. It's rands and cents. And in my mind, if the client paid it, well, we've got zero clawback risk. So it's actually even better. And that's when I started like, okay, this is not working. And I started looking at perhaps it's time I've outgrown this corporate entity and the consistent drive for selling new things to people. Uh, some of the People at FNB in financial planning were exceptional financial planners. I was ex motivated and inspired by so many. Unfortunately, there were the few old school guys that if it moved, they needed a policy. And they didn't go home that day unless they sold a policy. And I just, I don't get that. Like, it didn't ever make sense to me. Yeah, it's this measurement of kind of good financial planning is like more products. Yeah. And it's so much more than that, as you and I know. And that's when I started investigating other options. And whilst I was there, because I didn't want to be a bank broker. So I had client evenings. I had newsletters. I started, you know, differentiating myself back then. A little bit more complicated, getting brand to sign off on it and legal and, you know, all that kind of good things in a corporate environment. And I'm like, I need to do this on my own. I need to now do what actually excites me. And fast forward to today, four and a half years later, we have rich ideas and absolutely love what I get to do every day, help people with their planning. And now that I've had clients for almost 14 years, and many have been with me that long, you know, the magic really starts happening in year three, four, five. Like they start seeing those really great results. The consistency comes through. And I've had the opportunity to continue to learn and develop and give others opportunities within my business. 
Yeah, Terence, what a journey. And it's something that we hear so often. You know, it's the frustration with how the the financial planning profession used to operate and, and by and large still does. I'm wondering when you when you reflect back and you talk about these branding opportunities and the way you differentiate yourself, tell us a little bit more about like what went into that. Like what are the things that that you felt was really important to to show as the Terence Tobin brand? It was that I'm not here to sell you something you don't need. I'm not here to sell you something that I perhaps don't have myself. And that financial planning is so much more than just a policy or just another investment product. It's understanding who you are. Where do you want to go? What do we need to do together to make that happen? And sometimes that's not only financial. It's being someone that people can turn to, to talk to as they're developing their business, growing in their career, uh, starting families, sadly getting divorced. And it's who can they talk to that's been with them for many, many years that knows a lot of their journey and can just be an accountability partner or a sounding board. So it sounds like this idea of partnership was really important from the beginning. And how did clients respond to that or potential clients like what what were the things that they were saying at that time i would often say to them is is i'm not here to do business with you today i want to be your partner for decades i get so involved in helping you design and develop your financial plan because there's no one size fits all and then i actually want to see this thing through and i want to make sure that the goals we set and the what's important to you that we achieve it. And I always use the we language because I feel like I'm with you on this one because it's so important to know and understand that if you're going to trust and confide in someone with your money and your financial future, that they are with you in that journey. And when you need them, they are there to help you. And that's what I've striven to build and to create and to collaborate with my clients. Well, so it's this concept of I guess, delayed gratification from an advisor's side. But at the same time, you needed to put food on the table. So like, how did you balance those two for the people that might be already struggling with that, saying, okay, I know that I need to build long-term relationships, but at the same time, I need to feed my family. Like, how do you find that balance? Louis, that's a long journey. And yeah, back in those days at the Netco and at FNB, obviously it's sales-driven and you take commission. And commission is often thrown around as such a dirty word. It's like, oh, you get paid commission. It's how we get remunerated. Let's not be unhappy by it or, or be embarrassed by it. First and foremost is I always made sure clients knew and understood what they were paying, how much they were paying, and why they were paying it. This, I do still today sell products. It's not that I'm not, not selling life insurance and investments, etc. But... We've migrated from that environment to fee-based financial planning where we have that session with the client. We understand what is your expectation, what is your need, what is your requirements, how much time are we going to spend together, and we build in a fee for that so that at no point you feel that we're having a conversation that my agenda is to get you to sign a piece of paper at the end. And the conversations I've had recently because of that has been astronomical. But Louis, it's a journey. So four years ago, when I then started Rich Ideas Properly and left FNB, I transitioned from a 100% commission 
to a 50% commission on risk products and the rest as an annuity. And it was irrelevant how much that was. I mean, some deals it was two rand a month, others it was 300 rand a month. But I explained and showed clients that this is the cost for doing business up front and for working with you and helping you, etc. And this is the cost to continue looking after you and servicing you. And it did have a big income impact on me. Thankfully, have a bit of an emergency fund, as we should. But yes, revenue does take a dip. And over time, and it's probably two, two and a half years, there is now no upfront commission on any product whatsoever. And on many products, there's no commission at all. It's fee-driven via an invoice paid by the client. Yeah, and I think we get so stuck in the mechanism that what you're saying is that maybe the mechanism is less important, but the client knowing what, like, what are they paying and why are they paying that is probably more important. Over the last week, I read a piece that spoke about actually increasing your fees because that helps clients to commit to actually implementing and, and taking you on this journey. So I'm, I'm wondering why, like, what your response would be to that. Funny you say that, Louis. So 1st of June, I changed my option to have a first appointment with me. They are no longer free. Okay, you don't get to see your dentist first appointment free. You don't get to see a professional first appointment free. We can have a 10 to 15 minute phone call. That's cool. Let's have a quick chat, see if we're going to gel. You want to meet with me. That first appointment is a cost. I will invoice you and you will pay it prior to that appointment. Otherwise, I will cancel it. I have had a number of people sign up. Now, it's very scary to do this. And I just want people to listen, especially if they're in this transition phase. Guys, when I first launched fees, I pooped myself every time I had to say I had a fee. Because it is terrifying. Because the market knows they pay for advice. They just don't know how they pay for advice. And now, since I've implemented this cost for that first meeting, my word, people respond to those emails immediately. They send me information immediately. I've had people send me a three-page Word document of who they are, where they are, what they got, and what they want to talk about. Like, everything was just dumped immediately an hour after they booked that appointment. So it is exceptional. So nobody expects financial planning to be free. They just want to know what they're paying, and then what will they get in return for it? Is there value? And one of the hardest parts of my journey with setting up Rich Ideas was to design my value proposition, and when I'm going to tell you you're going to pay a thousand rand to work with me, why is that, and what are you paying for? Yeah, so kind of being clear on on that value proposition and also positioning it sounds like, you know, when you're saying I'm implementing fees that actually the benefit to the client was a lot more than the benefit in your pocket, actually. But, you know, we might feel like, hey, I'm doing a client a disservice by not charging for this, yet any other profession charges for their services. So you no longer have a chemistry meeting. You have a, a paid meeting from, from day one. And then how do you position your service to clients during that first meeting? So, Louis, I'm always an open book. I tell them they can ask me absolutely any question they want to know about me, my business, and the journey, and what we're going to go through. I also tell them that first meeting, we're not going to talk about any products, and I'm not going to give you any financial advice, because I can't, I will not talk about your money until I know who you are. What right do I have to talk about your money unless I know who you are? 
And it makes no difference to me if the client has got 100,000 rand that they want to learn how to invest or they've got 100 million rand. My fee is my fee. It doesn't, it's not linked to income. It's not linked to occupation. It's based on what they expect out of that journey. And in that first meeting, we spend a lot of time understanding each other, where, how we got to this point, why they feel they need to talk to another financial planner. Where do they feel that financial planner dropped the ball? But then I throw that question back at them and ask them, where did they drop the ball? Because it's not always the plan or the advisor that didn't do something. And what are they wanting to achieve? And one of those wonderful questions is, should we work together? What do you expect? And what do you feel will make this successful? And they need to articulate that. And Louis, I had an interesting conversation with a couple last week who are retiring in three years' time. Her expectation is for the next three years, I'm going to be able to choose the best investment fund to grow their money as much as possible. Immediately, I'm like, well, you're speaking to the wrong guy because that's not what I do. And her husband packed up laughing. And I'm like, why is that? He goes, because he says to me, if anyone claims they can do that, they're a charlatan. And I was like, I want to high five you, but we can't do it through a laptop screen. But that's exactly it. That's not the value we add. And it's not something people should expect. So it's almost like preempting, you know, one of the problem areas that can come up and saying, okay, let's talk about this before the relationship starts so that we can agree on what it is that my role would be. What are the things that are non-negotiable? So you've said, you know, you're not going to be the one that's picking the best performing fund. What are the other things that have come across your table that you had to say, no, I'm sorry, this is not what we do? It's interesting how it often comes down to investments is I had a client go, I will pay you more than your asking price, your charge, the fee that you want to charge, but it has to be linked to the investment performance. We'll review it every year and you can take a cut of that performance each year. And again, I'm like, that is not the way this is going to work. And also for a number of reasons, it's impractical. It's obviously not tax efficient and I cannot control the markets. And if you feel that is what you require from a financial planner, you are going to be sorely disappointed with every single person you talk to. The other one is the managing the expectation of the relationship, that we're not a call center. You can't get hold of me in every minute of the day because I look after many relationships. And I'm quite proudly state on my website that I'm a family-focused financial planner because family is so important to me and time with my daughter is critical. And Wednesday afternoons, I have the joy of taking her to swimming lessons. And I'm not available for two hours because we'll chat in the car, we'll have swimming lessons, we'll come home, we'll talk, etc. I am not available. And I make that very clear. And the right clients love and respect that. And I've had many say that because of reasons like that, that's why they want to work with me. Because what I say is important to me is actually what is, and I present it and project it going forward. Well, Terence, you're so clear on the family values and where that sits into what's important to you. How did you go about structuring that? Was that something that was always there? Or did you go through a process to say, now, this is how I'm going to position it, and this is what's important to my life. So I knew what was important to me, but I often couldn't articulate it correctly. And in 2017 and 18, I worked with two different coaches in South Africa, both with a focus towards financial planners. 
that helped me create my ideal client, create my values, my value proposition, and get comfortable with the fact that now I'm a fee-based planner, I am transitioning into fees. And Louis, one of the bits of advice I was given was forget how much, it's not important. The next new prospect you meet, whatever they ask you to do, tell them it's going to cost 500 rand, 1,000 rand. It doesn't matter the figure. Get comfortable with saying you charge a fee. And I will never forget the meeting, but to keep it short, client had particular needs. We did our fact-finding. Our discussion was an hour and a half session. I said to him, no problem. I can do this. It'll be 350 rand because it's about two and a half hours of work I need to do. Now, that's a joke, but okay, 350 bucks. Yeah, but Terence, my financial advisor at Liberty doesn't charge. So that's very interesting. Then why are you talking to me? No, because he also doesn't do what I want you to do for me. So I'm like, well, now we need to understand this. So you have a need that's not being fulfilled. I can do it, but you're not prepared to pay 350 Rand for it. No, I'm not. Well, unfortunately, we can't work together. I closed my file. I'm like, well, thank you very much for your time. And I never heard from him again. Now, there was a million Rand investment on the line. So the old school would be like, oh, my goodness, you just lost a million bucks. But I was so super proud of that, that I stuck to my guns and that was what my charge is. And the next person, I was now a little bit cleverer and I was like, that'll be 700 Rand. They paid that invoice the next day. And since then, I've been charging fees and Louis, not every single person will pay it. They say they want fee-based planning. It's all shared. It's all disclosed. There is never a surprise. So I never invoice post an event. It's always, this is what you want to do. This is what it'll cost. Do you accept? And there's many that don't do it. And I've spoken to a number of financial planners that want to migrate. And I had one where she positioned it to two different clients, both declined. And she says, fee-based planning will never work. And if two no's is going to derail you, I'm very sorry for you. You've got to embrace the no. And this is who I am. This is my business. And that's how I operate. And if you want to work with me, you work with me in these parameters. I love that you said you have to embrace the no and, you know, two is not a big enough sample size. You need to look at, at a bigger amount of, of clients. They often talk about the close ratio, right? So the percentage of prospects that become clients. Like on average, what, what would you say is a good target in a fee-based practice where you want to find that balance between not being too cheap but also not too expensive where – Clients say, yes, I want to work with you, but also some of them say, no, hey, maybe I can't afford working with with Terrence, or my need is not that great to substantiate the fees. It's a very interesting question. And for me, my closing ratio, and I'm going to have to say this and then back it up, is 100%. For the people I want to work with, because from that first meeting, we see if we want to work with each other, and I position that saying, this is the, are we a good fit meeting? And from that meeting, if I'm willing to quote you to do the work, I want to work with you. However, those that actually then engage and mandate and then now work with me, probably around 80%. And I've been told by a couple that my fees are too cheap, especially by clients with me during the journey. They were like, no, this has now gotten too cheap. And by two or three other IFAs that charge fees, again, going, but you're too cheap. I kind of feel it's at a good price point, And it's something you alluded to earlier, Louis. I'm not here to get rich off my client today. I want to build a multi-decade relationship where, yes, I'm going to make money off you. And I say it to people, but I want to add more value than what I charge you. But those first few times, sure, it was probably like a one in four. 
where they would be like, yeah, okay, I'll think about it. I'll get back to you. Or like, you know, and often they would say to me, but it's so simple. Can't you just do this? I'll pay the commission. And then I explain commission and I explain our clawback risk and I explain the premium adjustment by building commission into the products on the life insurance or the investments. So for me, it's always disclosure and education. And it's amazing how many people, once they know and appreciate that, my fee becomes a non-issue. But once they've committed and agreed and I've sent off that invoice, every single invoice is paid. So it's not rushing into the planning and then finding a surprise saying, oh, this is how much you're actually paying. It's saying, let's agree what we can expect from this journey. This is how much it's going to cost you. And if it's a good fit, you know, we'll figure out a way for the fees to make sense um, and for it to be mutually beneficial. Absolutely. And that's always what it's got to be. And I say to them along the journey, if you feel I'm not living up to your expectation, even though we've outlined it at the beginning, tell me. But I'm also brutally honest. I'm going to tell you too. So if you tell me a particular goal is important and we have a check-in three months later and you've done zip towards that goal, I am going to crap on you because you told me it was important. You're paying me to hold you accountable to what's important to you. So I am sometimes get a bit blunt and, and border on that in your face, but that is what I feel you're paying me to do. And I do it with love and care and respect because again, you've paid me to offer you a service. If you're not going to let me offer the service, should we be working together? So was there now a disconnect? But every single meeting I have, that first meeting to now understand the expectations and are we a good fit? I learn better ways of asking questions and getting clients to engage so that they know exactly what they're going to receive from me, what we're going to expect from each other. Obviously, I summarize that all in an email afterwards with a proposal. So that when they come on board, there's 95% of the time we're well aligned during our journey together. Wonderful. Terence, like now clients on board, they know that your family comes first, you're there to serve them. How do you, like what other limitations have you put in place to make sure that this client stays on track, but also doesn't take up too much resources within your business? I love the fact that you said, Wednesday afternoons is a no-go. Like, What other restrictions have you put in place? Louis, I'm working on those. So at the moment, I have a problem is if you message, I will reply, even if it's a Saturday afternoon. And I've been getting better at learning how to put some boundaries in place. Because some things, yes, are very important to you as a client. They're just not very urgent at the time. So on a Sunday afternoon, Wanting me to change your beneficiary details on a policy is not going to happen anyway until Monday. And part of my onboarding is to explain to them that I am here to help with your financial planning. Your admin-related tasks, I have to support people in my office that are there to help you. So it's that continuous education, but I want to be my client's go-to guy. So I've said to them, voice note, email, phone, whenever – If I'm not available because I'm with someone else or I'm with my family, I will always respond to you at worst case, 24 hours. Okay. So it's just being clear around when it's going to happen and saying, hey, please, I'm available, but I'll channel it into into the right area and get get it sorted for you. Uh, that's very, very valuable because I think oftentimes we just want to jump into, into doing it, right? And you get so busy with tasks that you shouldn't be doing. I want to talk a little bit 
about the team that you've built around you and you've recently expanded like how did you go through that journey louis so i've had a wonderful partner in my business she joined me as we started and she has been with me now for four and a half years and she's my two ic so she helps me with every aspect of the business but thankfully we have grown fantastically well every year and things that we started putting in place four years ago three years ago etc have been coming together. It's kind of like an investment with compounded growth. You see very little the first few weeks, months, year, but eventually it goes. And we've now gotten to that point where, yes, from March this year, I've added two more financial planners and another admin support person. So we've grown from a business of two to a business of five. And I feel very humbled and honored to be able to do that, considering our economic climate, and the times we find ourselves that I've got a platform that I can allow others who align with me. Many advisors have approached me saying they want to join. And firstly, I'm like, what are your values? People don't know. What is your value proposition? They don't know. So well, what are you going to bring to the table? Oh, I sell 30 policies a month. No, thank you. Don't want you. But you'll make lots of money off a split. No, thank you. Don't want you. My business is not about making as much money as I can off lots of people, whether they are staff or whether they're clients. I'm not in that game. We must be here for our clients. We must be here for their success and what's important to them. We'll get taken care of as a byproduct from that. Wonderful. I love that. And kind of that concept of not hiring rainmakers to come and generate more sales in your business. It's a product of how you show up and what you what you deliver. Jumping from a small team, you know, more than doubling, I'm sure that came with its own headaches. Like what are the things that you would advise a business owner to think of before they expand their team? Uh, what are the things that they should be thinking of and putting in place before that happens? Make sure you have capacity yourself to look after and support those people. It's a very long onboarding process, especially for existing advisors to move from one FSP to another. And to be able to explain and help them and guide them through that journey and that process because they will experience an income drop. And it can be exceptionally demotivating. It's also which we are developing because as you said, this growth kind of happened overnight is some standard operating procedures. It's a collective where we all work together. So everyone is my teammate or my colleague. We don't have a hierarchy. Because we will all help each other, and that's critical as part of our onboarding process, is if I need help, I will phone any admin person or any advisor, and they must do exactly the same. So that any client over time that works with anybody of the Rich Ideas team will experience the same journey. It's not to take away from a financial advisor's individuality, because we all have our uniqueness and how we interact and engage. But there's certain basics that must always be met. And there's an experience that I would like everyone to experience. And that's what we are doing. And they've joined knowing that. They've joined knowing who I am and my value proposition and what I do. And it's now to share that and pass that along. Whether right or wrong, Louis, I do this as a collaboration. I don't do this as a boss telling you what to do. So we have a team meeting, we design documents together, we design processes together. Yes, ultimately, as the key individual, I sign off on it and will make final tweaks. 
but everyone must buy into the process and the flow so that we all can do this together. Yeah, so you're crafting this journey that an advisor and an administrator and a client would go on. So does that mean that less of your role is spent with clients? At the moment, I would say 70% of my time is with clients and 30%, so 70% in my business, 30% on my business. I never want to lose what I'm passionate about. And I've made it very clear in our team meetings. My core purpose is financial planning. But I've now gotten to that point where I need to now look after my current client base. I'm not looking to grow and expand. I want to help my team grow and expand. And I'm now exceptionally selective of any new client I take on. We've got to be cognizant of the magic and the honor of getting a referral. So I don't ask for referrals. I never have. I suck at that. I feel if I do a good enough job, you will recommend me and better yet, introduce me. And where I get a recommendation or an introduction, I will work with those people. But I'm very selective now on who I onboard as a new client. We've got to align. I've got to see the journey is going to work for both of us to remove as much friction as possible. If it's not somebody that I can work with, but they would fit within our Rich Ideas philosophy, I will introduce them to the other two planners in the business. And all three of us say, why don't you interview each of us independently and find your right fit? Because we all work together. So it sounds like you've created this ecosystem where someone can come to Rich Ideas, you know, get help with their finances, know what they're going to be paying and have a consistent journey. Terence, you do quite a bit. You're quite vocal on the social media platforms and you have a podcast and you're active on Twitter. And definitely, I'm sure that generates new business as well. Talk us a little bit through your marketing strategy. Is there a strategy behind it or is it just Terence creating content for the love of, of sharing? I don't have a plan. So that's what I'm working on, Louis. So it's engagements I have with clients, it's trends I see in the market, it's news-related items, and that's what I use to create. I don't have anybody that manages my accounts. I do this myself. Every message, every podcast, every video, whatever's done is me. I've written it. I've done it. You engage with me. I keep it authentic. So what you see as my written word or as my podcast is what I say and what I do as myself. I do have ideas. I do have campaigns that I'll run from time to time, but nothing is pre-written and scheduled. It's all live and on the fly and as we go, but it's always authentic and I will always stand by whatever message I've put out there because I believe that to be in the best interest of the person reading or listening to that message. Oh, that's it's so wonderful to hear that you're saying that you're not overthinking this because oftentimes it's so easy to say, I can't start until I have the perfect plan in place. And what you're saying is create authentic content. It will resonate with someone and you'll start putting a voice out there and you'll start building a brand and you, know, you see rich ideas popping up and uh, I'm sure clients also resonate with that. Louis, that's a couple of things on that which has happened over time, is when I thought I'm going to do this podcast, firstly, what am I going to say? Am I just more noise that's already out there? And one of the coaches said to me, but Terence, it's the way you say something that'll resonate with a person. 
So, and it's still on my channel because I haven't taken it down because if your first release is perfect, you waited too long. So my first probably five podcasts are rubbish. There's crackle, there's noise, there's an echo, but get going, just get started. And there was one person that reached out to me, he's now a client, and he says the reason he reached out to me is I spoke like a South African as if he was talking to me at a braai, and I said something was a cuck idea, a really bad idea on that podcast. He was like, right, that's my guy. And he says he stopped listening, he booked that appointment, and that's how he engaged. So you've got to be who you are. So what you what he saw in the box was actually what he experienced as well. Um, and that alignment, you know, you don't have to have a written down strategy. As long as these things are aligned, you know, what like what you can expect and what you're getting is the same. If that differs widely, if that guy came in and you wore a suit and you went through a corporate planning process, it would probably not have resonated with him as much. And I think he'd be sorely disappointed if that did actually happen. So... You know, there was a chap that I spoke to and got a couple of marketing ideas from. And from that meeting, he says, listen, Terrence, you need to be the Nandos of financial planning because that's your personality. Now, don't be shy. Go and do it. So I embrace that. And that's what I do. I love that. The Nandos of financial planning. And for those listening that might not know what Terrence is talking about, the, uh, Nandos is iconic for the way they advertise very tongue-in-cheek approach uh, and direct. So <laughs> that definitely sums up Terence and, and your approach. Terence, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, may, maybe the more difficult times, you know, because you've been in this industry now for two decades and I'm sure there's been some, some hiccups and some pitfalls and some unhappy clients. Is there anything that comes up that you might want to share with us? There has been, and it's, and it's interesting. I've gone through many cycles in the markets and with clients and journeys and moving brokerages is obviously very disruptive for a relationship. They do get quite concerned. I love and value and appreciate any feedback, especially if there's feedback with room to improve from a client. And if they're going to do a broker change, I respect that because we're no longer aligned for whatever reason. And where I've dropped the ball, please tell me because I don't take offense to it. That's how I will learn and grow and develop within my business. And the first few years, you know, it wasn't always easy because I didn't know how to align expectations. I didn't know how to ask the right questions, obviously being in a sales environment. So, you know, you would take the marketing blurb your consultant gave you from the company concerned, and that was it. And you never interrogated. And something I started doing many years ago was now asking lots and lots of questions. So if anyone has ever been with me in a workshop or one day might ever be with me in a workshop, I'm the oak that's going to ask that presenter 37 questions because I want to know and I want to interrogate because you have to unpack everything, not just sell the sizzle. But I also explain that I'm aligned to where you're going and what you're doing. So I'm in the same journey. And obviously now global crisis last year, a recent one with obviously being COVID and markets going down 30, 40, 50%, wherever we are in the markets, I only had two phone calls of clients going, okay, I am concerned. What should I do? One listened and did nothing. And two months later was very happy with himself because it was his decision, obviously. And the second one, sadly, didn't listen, cashed out into money market, and two months later is still upset and actually hasn't done anything yet because now the markets have run, so it's a bad idea to buy again. 
So it's being able to have those courageous conversations and sometimes difficult conversations with people. Believe in yourself and your ability of what you do because financial advisors inherently want to help people, the good ones, want to help people, want to see them better off. Be open and honest and share that with your client that we're going through this journey together. If you're worried about COVID, I promise you, so am I. If you're worried when the markets are down, so am I. We have the same fears and I will share openly with my clients. And that has cemented my relationships. So Louis, you asked earlier, what's a good closing rate, etc. A rate that I look at is my persistency. And in 2020, I had one lapse. Clients that are with me stick with me. And I will take a pat on the back for that because I believe we do good work. But I feel we align and I take on the right type of client. And that's why I feel that persistency is virtually 100%. Thank you for that, Terence. And I completely agree with you. You're aligning your clients with these long-term visions that we preach all the time. And the piece that you said about the concerns that the clients have, we have the same because we're not robots, right? We're worried about the same things. And inherently, through confirmation bias, we tend to attract people that think like us as well. So how do you challenge that within rich ideas to avoid this kind of concept of groupthink, being worried about the same things and being triggered about the same things? Like, How do you balance that within a team? I engage with my team almost every single day. Uh, I want to know what's going on. I want to know what they're struggling with. I want to know where I can help them. But I also push their buttons. So working with me, I rip you out of your comfort zone. And we throw that thing as far away from us as possible. Because if you stick within that comfort zone, again, you attract the same. So if you want to excel and if you want to grow and you want to develop, you can't keep doing the same stuff we used to do for the last 10, 20, 30 years. And a chap that joined me recently, and I've had to explain that to him, what he is seeing today is not that this is not how I started out in 2008. So please don't take that as, well, I have to be like him today because you're going to set yourself up for failure. I want to set you up for a massive success. I am not anybody's ceiling in rich ideas. I am here to catapult all my team. So as an example, the lady I spoke of earlier, her name is Salome. She joined me four and a half years ago, three days a week, half day as an admin person. Today, she's my business partner, operations manager, and financial planner. And she wanted that journey because she wanted to study. I said, look, it doesn't have to be financial planning. Pick what you're passionate about. Obviously, I'd like to align with people that want to stay with me, either in the business or as clients and service providers, that we align and we can make multi-decade relationships. And if we don't, let's have a chat. And if our energies don't align anymore, let's discuss that. And if we need to part ways, that's great. And I I wish you well. But we need to always go back to managing those expectations. So I want my team to challenge me, and they do, which is great, because by no means am I a guru. But there are certain systems and processes that work. And if we'd like to continue to grow as we have and develop and do the good work we do, we need to align those resources together. That's brilliant. I love this concept of continuous growth and saying, you know, I want to catapult you into this ultimate career and vision that you have. Catapulting rich ideas into the rich ideas of the future 
What are like what is that vision for rich ideas that you have at the moment? Louis, and I say this and, and if any of my team are listening, they're probably gonna laugh. I don't want a massive FSP. I like that we are now five people. I want to create opportunities for other advisors that want to learn how to do fee-based planning. And whether they work in Rich Ideas or not doesn't matter. So I've got two other advisors. They work at other FSPs. And I've been mentoring them for the last year, 18 months. And it's terrifying for many. And I get it. I was there. Like I said, 350 Rand for a two and a half hour you know, to do work is crazy. But we've got to start. And they just don't know who to turn to. I will never give up financial planning. I absolutely love it. But I would also love to help create that change that we need in our profession to go away from this sausage machine policy sales to do financial planning and actually see lives improve. And that's what we do at Rich Ideas. And that's what we want to help others to do. And we are busy working on one or two things for that. So watch out for us next year. Terence, this podcast is all about the positive evolution of financial advice. And what you're saying sounds like you are bringing in financial planning into a new era with new ways where there's a different market segment that you can service and through different free structures. And it's, it's wonderful to see your passion for this profession, like you call it. Um, if people want to reach out to you, Terence, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? TerenceTobin.co.za or RichIdeas.co.za. And I'm exceptionally active on Twitter. So follow my handle at Terence Tobin. And let's chat. Thank you very much, Terence. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, so thanks for being here today. Louis, thank you. And for your good work and this amazing podcast. Let's continue to make be the change for our future financial planners. Absolutely. Thank you.